All right, we're going to continue on in Hebrews 11. And I'm going to read one verse to get us started, and then we'll pray. Reading verse 7. By faith, or we could read, because of his faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Because of his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Let's pray. Father, as we're reading through Hebrews 11, it it is so clear that faith affects our lives and that being people of faith means people whose lives are different and, and, and individuals and, and people who you will use to change the world around us. Father, I, I pray this morning that you would continue to make us people of faith You'd continue to open our eyes to who you are, uh, to know you and to see you, that we might believe and obey you. And Father, as we do that, uh, just make us, uh, as we're at our jobs this coming week and in, our, in schools and our neighborhoods and our homes, Father, with our friends and neighbors, uh, Father, at the store, Father, where we are, make us people that reflect you because we're people who believe you. Father, we're a world that desperately needs that. And uh, I just, I pray along with just thousands of other people that are praying right now for the, the, the family, the community in Marysville. Uh, Father, for your your grace and your comfort. Father, for clarity in the midst of just huge confusion. Uh, Father, for hearts that are, uh, that are drawn to you, recognizing what a needy people we are and, and how broken we are and when we don't even know we're surrounded by such brokenness. Father, I, I pray for um, Kingston High School uh, again, that has experienced just so much turmoil from uh, young people there that, that that we're involved with that have made threats. And now the girlfriend of the young man who uh, was in Marysville at, at Kingston High School, Father, I pray, uh, pray for her, for her family, for her friends, and, and just again for that community and, and helping us uh, to know how to minister and how to serve and and how to bring healing and and wholeness, uh, Father, in the midst of such brokenness. So, Father, we we just dedicate this time to you and ask that you would uh, that you would use it in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> 
someone uh, wrote a book. There's probably been a lot of books written on this called that, that We Are What We Eat, right? I'm sure Sheila's probably aware of that book. <laughs> we Are What We Eat. And there's a lot of truth to that. I, um, I know that those of us who eat donuts regularly are probably much healthier than the rest of you because um, I've convinced my wife, well, I don't know if I've convinced her, but that what makes me hel- happy is what makes me healthy, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. The, um, as we come to Hebrews 11, 7 this morning, to carry that, that thought a little farther, it, it's really true, isn't it, that we, that we are a lot of what we're involved in. Um, the books and magazines we read, the, the music we listen to, uh, the people we hang around, the things that we're told growing up, that are stuck in our heads. Um, the stuff that we look at on TV and movies. We are a lot of what, whether we want to admit it or not, we're, we're affected by what we surround ourselves with or we involve ourselves with. In fact, if I understand it correctly, it's the whole strategy behind the advertising media to influence how and what we buy, right? Their, their job, if they do it well, is to make you think that you are incomplete or you are less of a person if you don't buy such and such a car, right? I mean, or if you don't drink a certain beer, or if you don't use a certain kind of shampoo or smell a certain way, you know, that would be like perfume, right, or cologne. Um, or if you don't look a certain way. And, and their whole intent is to get us to think, wow, man, I, I need to be that way or I need to have that. This is what I want us to think about this morning. I wonder how many of us realize how much we have been influenced by the world's way of thinking. Think about that. How much have each of us been influenced by the world's way of thinking? I, I love the translation uh, in Romans 12 too, the Phillips version of the Bible. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And the, and the question I want us to be thinking about this morning as we, we come here in, in Hebrews eleven seven is, has it? Or, or in what ways has it? Has the world squeezed us into its mold? So I'm going to list for you eight ways of thinking that are in the world. Okay? And, and I'm saying that these are wrong worldly ways of thinking. And I want us to, I want you to just, as, as I list these off, consider if some of them haven't affected your way of thinking, okay? These are ways of thinking that are out in the world. And I'm guessing that as I read these, some of you might say, that's wrong. Um, The first one, if something feels right, 
it must be right. That's wrong. Number two, your addiction is who you are and what you will always be. That's wrong. Three, sex is a natural and good expression of love outside of marriage. That's wrong. Number four, personal convictions are good but should be kept private. That's wrong. Number five, tolerance means that I am willing to give up my personal convictions for the common good. That's wrong. You get the gist? You're wrong, wrong. (laughs) Number six, the truth is whatever you believe it to be. It isn't the same for everyone. That's wrong. Number seven, we have no right to judge another individual. That's wrong. Number eight, the end justifies the mean. That's wrong. So, now some of you might be thinking, I don't know about that, but has the world's way of thinking influenced our way of thinking? And so the question is, how can God's way of thinking become our way of thinking? How can the, the thinking that is in this book, God's words to us, how can this thinking become our way of thinking? And the answer, as we're going through Hebrews 11, is faith. That's what we're going to look at specifically this morning. Just to review a little bit, we're looking in Hebrews 11 at the difference that living by faith makes. And, and as we've gone, this is our third or fourth week. As we look at faith, I think it should become very clear to us that faith is action. It's not just theory or information, but faith is an action word. Faith acts. Uh, it, it, um, Abel, because of his faith, he brought a better offering. He gave his best to God. Enoch, because of his faith, he lived for God's pleasure and he lived for eternity. Because of faith, as we're going to see this morning, Noah did something. He acted. And so faith is something that makes a difference. And what we're going to particularly look at this morning, if you haven't caught it yet, is that faith isn't influenced by the world's thinking. So if, if we are people of faith that are walking by faith, that are living by faith, we will be people who aren't influenced by the world's thinking, but rather that are influenced by God's thinking. This is so important. Because the world is constantly trying, it's bombarding us, trying to squeeze us into its mold and its way of thinking. And that's why I think probably every one of us here this morning, myself included, there's things that we think that are right, but they're the world's thinking that that has put thoughts in us that aren't God's way of thinking. So... What do we learn about faith from Noah uh, in a way that will help us not to be influenced by the world's thinking, but rather 
by God's thinking. So if you, if you go with me back to verse 7, we're just going to kind of work our way through Hebrews 11, 7, and we're going we're gonna to flip back to Genesis chapter 6 and 7 also, which where the story of Noah is. But what do we learn about faith from Noah? Notice it says, because of his faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. The, the point here is, because Noah knew God, and that's the heart of faith. Faith is a confidence in, just to review here, it's a confidence in God. And it's a conviction about God that, that flows out of knowing God. We know him and we're going to be confident in him and we're going to have a conviction about him. And then it's going to lead us to live for him. But because Noah knew God, he didn't have to see physically what was before him because he saw what God saw because he, he had a confidence in God. He knew God. Go back to, let's, let's, you want to stick your finger in Genesis chapter 6. When we come to the story of Noah, we come to um, a world that is in uh, bad shape. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This describes the world that Noah was born into. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And that means it's, it was a wicked place that he was born into. Everyone was loving and enjoying and living out wickedness. In fact, it was so much so that notice what it says in in verse 6. It says, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. God is, the world is in a mess. It's just everybody's doing whatever they want to do, the evil that they want to do. And God is just troubled by this and as a result in verse 7 the Lord says I will wipe out uh, from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and and everything with it because I regret what I have created Um, as we come to Noah and his faith back back to Hebrews it says because of his faith when warned about things not yet seen see the world that Noah is living in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he's living in this world that is surrounded by unrighteousness and by evil and by wickedness, and he is proclaiming righteousness. And as far as we can tell, he's the only one. And so what do you think the result of that is? I mean, ridicule? I mean, he's not invited to birthday parties. Uh, unless they want him to be the laughing stock, you know, like, hey, let's invite Noah and make fun of him. And, but he's, he's 
he's all on his own. Surrounded by wickedness, he's proclaiming righteousness and he's proclaiming judgment. And what makes this, what makes this kind of unusual is that there's been no judgment. I mean, everybody's just doing whatever they want to do. And this crazy guy, Noah, is saying, God doesn't like this and God's going to judge this. And everybody's saying, you've got to be kidding. We're having a great time and you're, you're the sourpuss. You're the one that, you know, but we're all loving this. But he's proclaiming judgment. He's saying, God, God is troubled by this and God's going to do something about this. And so Noah sees that and he believes that because he's a man of faith. He knows God. But what makes it even more incredible is the judgment that he's proclaiming is going to be a flood. And if you read the chapters before Genesis chapter 6, you'll see that up until this point, there'd never been rain. There'd never been a flood. There'd never been rain. There was a mist that came up from the ground and watered the face of the earth. And so Noah is proclaiming God's judgment, which seems absolutely crazy on the one hand, and he's proclaiming it that it's going to happen through a flood, through rain, and that's never happened. And he's the laughingstock of everybody around him. But that's why the first thing I want us to see that because Noah knew God, he had this confidence about God and this conviction about God that as crazy as it all seemed, he believed it, despite what everybody was saying about him. And what it led to, notice it says, because it, when warned about things not yet seen, even though nobody could see them, he could see them, it says, in holy fear, he built an ark. In holy fear, he built an ark. Um, I understand this a little bit because this last week I, um, I experienced a fear that I've never experienced before. And, and it just kind of helped remind me of what it's like to be kind of gripped by fear. Um, I was on my way to Cash and Carry, which is off of Kitsap Way, Auto Center Way. And I was traveling on Kitsap Way by the old uh, QFC uh, in the right lane, and I pulled into the left lane at the same time the car behind me pulled into the left lane, and they thought I had deliberately cut them off, which led to an experience of road rage I've never experienced before. This, As soon as we both pulled into the left lane, this car, there's a middle lane, they pulled into the middle lane and, and, and zipped around me, cut right in front of me, and stopped. And so I stopped, and then I pulled into the right lane. They pulled into the right lane and stopped. I went back into the left lane. They pulled into the left lane and stopped. And, and then they, and, and the cars behind us were getting upset. They started going by, rolling down their windows and flipping off this car because <laughs> uh, they were endangering everybody, but... Um, and so I was thinking, well, this is, this is going to be over pretty soon. But it wasn't over very soon. We came up to the, uh, they, they just kept doing this. So finally I just decided to stay behind them because I could tell it wasn't going to make a difference. And they just stopped and then they'd go and stop. And 
we came to Winco there on Kitsap Way, and the light just passed Winco, and um, the light turned yellow, so they went through it, and I stopped. They went through the light and stopped on the other side of the intersection, put on their flashers, and waited for me. And you know, somebody asked me, "Why didn't you call the police?" Well, this is—I was at this point, I was just like, kind of be under the. <laughs> the influence of this fear, like what's happening and how this is going to end. And, um, and so the light turned green and I went through and they waited till I got there and then they um, went ahead. We came to the two lanes turning left into Cash and Carry Auto Center Way and I stayed in the lane so they'd think I was going straight and so they went through the light and I pulled into the left-hand turn lanes thinking it would be over. Well, it wasn't. They pulled a Yui and waited for me. And at this point, I was like, wow, how's this going to end? I, the, the windows were tinted, so I couldn't tell if this was a 900-pound, you know. or <laughs> But obviously, they were zeroed in on me. And my, my hope was that I was going to end at cash and carry where there were a lot of people. And uh, they would not want to do anything to me. Um, we arrived at Cash and Carry, and I pulled in, and they pulled in, and the um, individual I waited, they got out. And then I got out, and, and they pretended. They, 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 at that point, proceeded to, um, to yell at me for quite a while. And then I walked into Cash and Carry. They called the police. Um, and when I came out of cash and care, the police were waiting for me. Um, the the first words out of the police mouth were, "Did a did a crazy? Did you have an an encounter with a crazy lady a little bit ago?" Um, and um, I explained, and they said, "Well, from the phone call, we we thought it was her fault, but we wanted to check with you." I, I was consumed by this this the, I mean this went on for about five or ten minutes and, and I was like controlled by that's what fear is it's like it, it I mean I didn't think about calling the police I, I was just like caught up in this and and that's what fear does if, if you're if you have arachnophobia you know if you have fear of spiders and you see spiders. What is it? it? Just control. It control. You see a spider, and and it makes somebody that doesn't know how to dance dance, right? I mean, I've seen grown women jump on beds because of this little eensy teensy spider that they thought was going to devour them. You know. I mean, if you have fear of, you know, agoraphobia, agoraphobia, and you're you you, know, you can't be in public places, or I mean, it just dominates you. And I think that's what, because of Noah's faith, I mean, he wasn't a farmer. He, he, he was a farmer. He wasn't a carpenter. But because of his faith, when God told him to build an ark, even though there had never been rain, there had never been a flood, everybody was just hunky-dory, living like they wanted, and God was proclaiming judgment, this farmer built this mammoth boat because he was so dominated by God's thinking and what God was telling him that despite everything going on around him, 
that, that disagreed and opposed what God was saying, he believed God and obeyed God. In, in fact, in twice in Genesis 6.22 and Genesis 7.5, it says that he did everything the Lord commanded. He did all that the Lord commanded. He, he was this God-dominated person. And that's why you think about in holy fear, it, it's not saying that he was scared stiff. He was terrified by God. He was his thinking was dominated by God. So what God wanted him to do, he did. What God said, he responded. And when God said, build an ark, because I'm going to judge the world, Noah did it. And in the face of huge opposition, he lived totally opposite. Um, and, you know, the point is because Noah knew God, his actions, and this is really key, his actions were determined by God and not by the world around him. That, that's huge. Because he believed God, he knew God, his actions were determined by God and not by the world around him. And the end result in Hebrews eleven seven, it says he did this to save his family. And, and I think this is in two ways. I mean, certainly he believed God for the physical salvation of his family, for them to be saved from the judgment that was going to come upon the face of the earth. And, and, and in the ark, they would be saved but but I think it was more than that. And it, because, I mean, there were a lot of other people that weren't believing God and weren't saving their families. Why was Noah? And I think it's because, and, and, and we've talked about it before, as, we, as sin enters the world through Adam and Eve and, and through sin judgment, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God in his mercy and his grace offers salvation. In Genesis 3, 15, God says that the, the seed of the woman, the, the, a promised deliverer is going to come who will, who will judge Satan and, and destroy Satan and provide salvation for humanity out of their sin. You know, as, we're, as, we're, as we continue through the book of Genesis, we see the people of faith, and some of them described here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, they were people who saw what God promised, and they believed what God promised. They took God at his word, and as a result, their lives were different than everybody around them who just saw physically, saw with their five senses, but didn't see what God said and what God promised and believe it. But I believe Noah was that man. He, because he knew God, he saw what God promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And the, and the salvation of his family wasn't just their physical salvation, but it was their salvation from the curse of sin and the judgment that God was bringing. It was the hope of the seed who would be the hope of their family and the hope of the world. 
And so because of his faith, even though nobody else saw it, and, 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 and these things hadn't happened yet, no rain, no judgment, no boat, because he knew God, he obeyed God and brought about the salvation of his family. What was the result? Notice it says, because of his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that is by faith. Two, two things. The results of his faith were, number one, he condemned the world. And, and I think this is what it means. It means he exposed the world's way of thinking to be lies leading to death. The world's way of thinking is, you've got to be kidding there's never, I don't know what you're talking about, this rain thing, but there's never been rain and there's, there isn't going to be rain and there's not going to be a flood. I don't know what you're thinking. This little mist that comes up from the ground isn't going to flood the face of the earth. And God doesn't care about our sin. In fact, he obviously thinks it's okay because he hasn't done anything and he's not going to do anything. And he exposed the world's way of thinking as lies. He showed that he wasn't the fool for following God and he showed the world to be fools for not listening to God. He stood alone for what God was saying. He stood for the truth in the face of overwhelming opposition. And because of his actions and words, he showed that the the world's thinking was false. It was lies. And God's thinking was truth. I mean, history, we see that. But in the midst of it, he was a man who stood in the face of ridicule and mocking and opposition, stood for what God was proclaiming and showed that God was speaking truth. You know, our lives can do this too. We can be Noah's in the worlds that we live, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our, in our schools, in our, where, where the world's thinking is rampant. And to, and to stand for the truth or to speak God's truth, and maybe some of it is the things that I, I listed at the beginning. I mean, would we be ridiculed and mocked? And, and I'm not just saying get on, you know, stand on a, on a, on a table and start spouting but living and, and speaking truth in the face of ridicule and mocking because we're convinced about God and his way of thinking and his truth, that it is truth. And, and what the world's way of thinking that is in opposition to God's way of thinking is lies, and it's going to end in death. In Romans chapter 8, it says, the mindset on the flesh is death, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Um, and as a result, not only did he expose the world's way of thinking as lies and as foolish, even though everybody was proclaiming it, and he alone was standing in his opposition to that. And then he also became, it says, an heir of righteousness. You know, because he believed God and obeyed him when everybody was calling him a fool or or all the other crazy, closed-minded. 
he gained what everyone else lost. They not only lost their lives, but they lost the hope of salvation, the hope of the seed who would be the the redeemer from their sin and the curse of sin and death. Christ, that the seed, they gave up. He gained what everyone else gave up. And, and really it's righteousness, a right relationship with God. Um, many years later, um, in the book of Philippians, uh, a guy that followed in the wake of Noah, his name was Paul. He said, I consider everything else manure in order that I may gain Christ. That, that, I, might, that I might know Christ. And, and that, that's Noah in the face of opposition and ridicule. And it doesn't even make sense. And it's crazy. His hope was in that promised seed who would be the redemption of his family from sin and the curse of sin and death. He looked ahead to the hope of the seed. We look back to Christ who became that seed who destroyed sin and death and, and Satan on the cross. So because of his faith, Noah got what God had to offer, a true inheritance with, with those who were in right relationship with God through Christ rather than what the world had to offer. You know, the world offers a lot. Um, a false hope of success or popularity or prosperity or pleasure. Uh, but believing God is believing that those things that the world has to offer are fleeting and not really fulfilling and will soon be washed away. So Noah was this man of faith. You know, the question kind of to end with is, what made Noah that man? In the midst of the world where every inclination of the thoughts of the heart of everyone were, was evil all the time. Why was Noah different? Um, what can make us in our workplaces or in our schools or in our neighborhoods or the people we hang out, what can make us different, people of faith, when everyone else is just going along with the, the thinking of the world? Genesis chapter 6. It says right here, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then it goes on and says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. He was in right relationship with God. He was blameless among the people of his time. He was a person of integrity who was God-focused and he walked faithfully with God. What made him that man? And the answer from what we see is grace. Grace. Noah found favor. And the word is grace in the eyes of the Lord. Faith recognizes and acknowledges that we are what we are by the grace of God and that our only true hope is in the seed that he looked forward to and the seed, Jesus Christ, that we look back to. 
and what he has accomplished for us on the cross and rising from the dead. Noah looked ahead. We look back. Faith acknowledges that that's our hope. You know, in, in Noah's day, the rest of the world disregarded God. And, and, and I think like today, as they're, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, they're thinking, ah, he's a fairy tale. It's just, you know, it's the opium of the people. <laughs> it's just, he's something that has been made up to make people feel good. Uh, the rest of the world maybe thought, that's, you know, we heard about that. And Adam and Eve, they believe that, but that's, that's not modern anymore. That's old-fashioned. Um, we don't need him. We don't want him. We can do without him. But Noah recognized that he needed God. He acknowledged that he needed God. He cared what God thought. He did what God wanted because he knew he needed God. His hope was in the seed. And that's the heart of it. And and whether the world's influencing us or we're influencing the world, it's do we recognize that who we are is by God's grace, that our hope is in him. Our hope isn't in the world. And what the world has to offer, it's fleeting and it's fading away and it's going to be gone. And, but our hope is in God. This morning, is, you, is your hope in God? How has the world's thinking seeped into our skulls and become our thinking with regards to purity, the way we think about purity, the way we think about honesty, integrity, money, How can faith free us to think God's thoughts the way God thinks? Just to summarize, number one, faith knows God. Faith knows God. That's because Noah knew God, he acted. Number two, faith knows our desperate need of God and that apart from Jesus, we're nothing. That by his grace we are what we are. That there is salvation and no one else. Our hope is in Jesus. Faith knows that. And as a result, faith fears only God. It doesn't fear man. Faith fears God because faith knows God. It knows that our hope alone is in God. So faith fears only God. It doesn't fear man. It doesn't, doesn't matter what man can do to us or what man says about us. Our hope is in God. And so faith may make us look like fools in the eyes of the world, but in the end, faith will show the world to be the fools for not believing God and us to be the heirs of righteousness. So what do we do? Just four things I want to list. Number one, I'm kind of saying this every Sunday, but if we want to be people of faith, we need to be people that pursue knowing God. That's the heart of it. We need, to be, we need to be in this book because if, if, if we're in other books and in other magazines and, and, and in conversation with other people and in movies and, and all that stuff, and that's what we're surrounding ourselves with and that's what we're dominated by, our thinking is dominated by, that's where our thinking is going to come from. Our thinking will only come from God's way of thinking if we're spending time in this book. We've got to get out of yourself. In relation to the amount of time you watch TV, how much time do you spend in God's book? 
the amount of time you're, 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 you spend reading other books, other novels. I mean, how much time do you spend in God's book? That's where your thinking is going to come from. We've got to pursue knowing God. Because if we do not know God, we will not fear God. And, and I get it. I don't mean be afraid of God, but have thinking dominated by God, by God's truth. If we don't know God, we will not fear God. And if we do not fear God, we will fear man. And live under the thinking and influence of the world and not that of God. And time and eternity will show us to be fools for seeking to gain the world and what it has to offer instead of what God promises. Um, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was such a man. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he, he spoke against or wrote against called, what's called cheap grace, a grace that does not lead to a changed life. Um, he lived in Germany under the Nazi regime and, and ended up being hanged three days before the end of World War II uh, by Hitler's direct order uh, for speaking out against and he had for years when everyone thought Hitler was the was the savior of Germany he, he saw because he was a man dominated by God's thinking and God's truth he saw the lies of Hitler spoke out against it actually was involved in a plot against Hitler and was hanged three days before the end of World War II he was a man of faith <laughs> that led to action. You know, Martin Luther was another such man. When he was ordered to cease preaching his heresy, that righteousness is by faith in Christ alone, under the threat of excommunication and death, he stood before the most powerful leaders of his day, the, 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 the emperor, the, the pope. And this is what he said. He said, unless I am convinced of my error by the testimony of Scripture or manifest reasoning, I stand convinced by the Scriptures to which I have appealed, and my conscience is taken captive by God's Word. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. On this I take my stand. I can do no other God help me. That's a man that tremendous pressure against him. Said, I, I stand on the truth of God's word. He was a man of holy fear dominated by the truth of God. Another man named after him. Martin Luther King Jr. was another such man. He also gave his life, was assassinated in 1968 for his role, and this is a quote, his role in the advancement of civil rights using nonviolent civil disobedience based on his Christian beliefs. His way of thinking formed, dominated by God's way of thinking. And history is filled with such individuals. The apostles were called fools for Christ because they were so dominated by God's way of thinking. Uh, people of whom the world 
was not worthy. So what about us? Will we be such individuals of faith, committed to pursuing God, knowing God, so fearing God, we will live for God without the fear of anybody else? When others are willing to compromise, we will be people of conviction. When others fear man, we will fear God only. When others are willing to sacrifice truth for position or popularity, we will be people who hold to the truth. When others are willing to abandon purity or honesty or integrity because of what people are saying, we will hold to them. Only if we're people of faith, people who know their God. Let's pray. Father, the thought of ridicule or or mocking or people making fun of us or people talking about us or talking against us or not being popular. Father, how is it even possible unless we are people who know you? And God, what an incredible thing that we can know you the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, that that we can know you. God, stir within our hearts a, a desire to know you, that dominated by that knowledge and that truth, we would be people that fear no one else but you. And so make a difference in the world like the ones we're reading about in Hebrews chapter 11. God, help us to be people of faith. Amen.